0: I was back in Southie, the best place in the world, as Ma used to say, before the kids died. That's what we call them now, the kids. Even when we want to say their names, we sometimes get confused about who's dead and who's alive in my family. After so many deaths, Ma just started to call my four brothers the kids when we talked about going to see them at the cemetery. But I don't go anymore. They're not at the cemetery. I never could find them there. When I accepted the fact that I couldn't feel them at the graves, I figured it must be because they were in heaven, or the spirit world, or whatever you want to call it. The only things I kept from the funerals were the mass cards that said, Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am the stars that shine through the night. And so on. I figured that was the best way to look at it. There are seven of us kids still alive, and sometimes I'm not even sure if that's true. I came back to Southie in the summer of 1994, after everyone in my family had either died or moved to the mountains of Colorado. I'd moved to downtown Boston after Ma left in 1990, and was pulled one night to wander through Southie. I walked from Columbia Point Project, where I was born, to the Old Colony Project, where I grew up, in the Lower End, as we called it. On that August night, after four years of staying away, I walked the streets of my old neighborhood and finally found the kids. In my memory of that night, I can see them clear as day. They're right here, I thought. It was an ecstatic feeling. I cried and felt alive again myself. I passed by the outskirts of Oak Colony, and it all came back to me. The kids were joined in my mind by so many others I'd last seen in caskets at Jackie O'Brien's funeral parlor. They were all here now, all of my neighbors and friends who had died young from violence, drugs, and from the other deadly things we'd been taught didn't happen in Southie. We thought we were in the best place in the world in this neighborhood, in the all-Irish housing projects where everyone claimed to be Irish, even if his name was Spinoli. We were proud to be from here, as proud as we were to be Irish. We didn't want to own the problems that took the lives of my brothers and of so many others like them. Poverty, crime, drugs. Those were black things that happened in the ghettos of Roxbury. Southie was Boston's proud Irish neighborhood. On this night in Southie, The kids were all here once again. I could feel them. The only problem was, no one else in the neighborhood could. My old neighbors were going on with their nightly business, wheeling and dealing on the corners, drinking on the stoops, yelling up to windows, looking for a way to get by, or something to fight for. Just like in the old days, in this small world within a world. It was like a family reunion to me. That's what we considered each other in Southie, family There was always this feeling that we were protected, as if the whole neighborhood was watching our backs for threats, watching for all the enemies we could never really define. No outsiders could mess with us. So we had no reason to leave, and nothing ever to leave for. It was a good feeling to be back in Southie that night, surrounded by my family and neighbors, and I remember hating having to cross over the Broadway Bridge again, having to leave the Peninsula neighborhood, and go back to my apartment in downtown Boston. Not long after I got a call at Citizens for Safety, where I'd been working on anti-violence efforts across Boston since 1990, it was a reporter from U.S. News and World Report, who was working on an article about what they were calling the white underclass. The reporter had found through demographic studies that Southie showed three census tracts with the highest concentration of poor whites in America. The part of Southie he was referring to was the lower end, my own neighborhood at the bottom of the steep hills of City Point which was the more middle-class section with nicer views of the harbor. The magazine's findings were based on rates of joblessness and single-parent female-headed households. Nearly three-fourths of the families in the lower end had no fathers. Eighty-five percent of O'Colony collected welfare. The reporter wasn't telling me anything new. I was just stunned that someone was taking notice.